Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and return Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStoryPodcast.com. And happy 2019! I haven't recorded anything uh, since the beginning of the year, and when I left off, um, I asked you guys to to reach out to me to let me know a little bit about yourself as listeners, uh, if you were RPCVs, current volunteers, or just general Peace Corps enthusiasts, and you guys reached out and let me know uh, who you were. So thank you very much. Uh, One of the ways in which you did that was through reviews on iTunes. So I'd like to give a thanks to Katie Haustein, who says, For nostalgia and community, five stars. Love this podcast. As an RPCV, Zambia and Peru, I love hearing the stories of other volunteers from around the world, especially those that take me back to my village days. Solid dose of nostalgia. It's got me daydreaming about a third round of Peace Corps service. But for now, as I plant some literal and figurative roots in central PA, where there is very few other volunteers, this podcast has helped me feel the strength and breadth of the RPCV community. Thank you for creating this space for all of us. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you for the review. And if you like the show, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a review for the show. Before we get into this episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast... I have to say that this podcast is brought to you by Invested Interest. Invested Interest has made it easy for you to invest in your future without sacrificing your values. With access to over 400 socially responsible mutual funds, Invested Interests can build you a customized investment portfolio that screens for the social issues that are most important to you. Socially responsible investing doesn't have to sacrifice returns. Like all investments, returns are never guaranteed, but socially responsible investing has outperformed the S&P 500 for the last 25 years. Listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast will receive a $50 bonus when they sign up. Just visit investedinterest.com slash peacecorps and use the promo code peacecorps. That's investedinterest.com slash peacecorps. Invested interests. Invest in what matters. Well, thank you for taking a moment out of your day, hitting that play button, and investing some time with me. So, without further ado, here is the My Peace Core Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. I am Kelly Branick, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing well. Excited to talk to you about your service in China. Um, I've had two opportunities to to be in China. One for uh, merely more than uh, like twenty four hours. I actually, think it was less than twenty four hours. And the other time was for for a week. Uh, but China is a very big place. 
Uh, so, yes, so my, my, my time in China definitely does not give me an understanding of that country and that culture. So excited to hear about your time there, what you were doing, uh, and your experience as a Peace Corps volunteer. Well, great. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. I think it's awesome to be here. Well, let's start off by letting everybody know uh, about you, uh, sort of your background in the U.S. Uh, and where you served in the Peace Corps. All right. Um, well, I'm a native to Colorado. I grew up in a pretty small town of about 4,000 people. Um, it's called Florence, Colorado. Um, it's the antique capital of Colorado. Fun fact about Florence. Um, I was a pretty much a sandbox kid, so I lived there pretty much my whole life. Um, my parents owned a video store there and, um, but you know, I didn't really stay in Florence all the time. My parents took us on road trips quite often. And then, um, you know, I, I, I went to CSU Pueblo in Pueblo, Colorado, and I got a, uh, bachelor's of arts in English creative writing. And, um, I got my first brush with like traveling, um, in 2012 when I was in school. So I did like a study abroad program to France and Spain during the summertime. And it was like a 12 week, 12 week program, or uh, I'm sorry, six week program. And uh, it was the first time I'd really ever traveled outside of the States. So um, I had done significant travel in the States. But after that trip, I was like, man, I got to do more outside of, you know, the US, I want to see more of the world. And, and being a writer, I thought, how could I, you know, do the writing and see the world. So I explored a whole bunch of options, like being a flight attendant, you know, doing something, um, like being an instructor of some kind, like a yoga instructor or something. There was a massive amount of possibilities, but none of them really felt like they were speaking to me. Um, and then I was in a careers for English majors course, um, during my senior year of college. And, uh, it was basically just a bunch of people who had stories of how their English major took them to where they are in their career presently. And, uh, one of the ladies that was telling her story said that she had tried Peace Corps and I thought, Oh, maybe I should give that a shot. And I went through, read the whole website, um, came back, told my parents, I'm going to join the Peace Corps. So it took about 11 months from the time that I started to the time that, uh, like I was accepted to China. Um, and I didn't really know a whole lot about China at all. And I didn't ask to go there. Um, they basically gave me the choice of, you know, well, where would you go if you had any choice? And I said, well, Africa, Asia, Pacific islands. I wasn't really sure and didn't really have any expectations for going anywhere specific. Um, so I didn't really know a whole lot about China. So I left in 2014, um, from Los Angeles and, uh, with a group of 83 other volunteers going to China. And, um, I came home 2016. So I was there the full two years. Um, and I taught oral English to a vocational tourism school in Chongqing, China. Okay. And where is, uh, Chongqing, China? So, um, it's more like South southwestern China um uh still on the like the it's still pretty you know east like more on the eastern part of China um but it's more south closer to Sichuan um 
which most people can identify with pretty well, pretty far from Beijing. Beijing's more northeast. Um, so if I could relate it to anything, it's like <laughs> Chongqing is like the Texas of America, whereas Beijing is like the New York of China or, uh, yeah, or Texas of China. And then, uh, Beijing is the, you know, New York of China, if that makes sense, uh, mm -hmm. geographically. But, um, so it's more Southern, so super humid, um, Chongqing and Chengdu, um, Chengdu is where Peace Corps headquarters is. And they're like in this. Chengdu Basin, which basically just collects all of the humidity. And it's so it's super hot there. And it also gets super cold in the winter. So um, they're mostly known for very spicy foods. Um, that region of, of China is known to have very fiery tastes. Um, and Chongqing is a pretty big province. It's, um, or it's a municipality. It's 32 million people live in the municipality. And uh, I was living in um, a huge city of 11 million people, and I was living in their uh, one of their southernmost and newly developed districts known as Daduko. Um, so it was recently developed in the last few years, um, last 10 years. So a lot of like third world tendency type of feels happened down there still, but for the most part, it was a huge city, um, and most of us operate in pretty big cities in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it so interesting just from what I know of Peace Corps service in China, uh, that one being in, in a more urban environment, a big city, uh, mm -hmm. tend to be in schools that are, are universities that are much larger in size. Sure. You're, you're really just, you're, you're like a, you're a teacher, you're a full blown teacher. Whereas, you know, I served in Africa, which, uh, a little bit different. Um, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. No, no tall buildings, a uh, lot less structure. Um, did did you feel that like you got like a Peace Corps experience, or it was the experience you were expecting going in? So that's the thing about Peace Corps. I mean, we can always like have an expectation of what to like what we're going to go experience, but it's almost never like what we think it'll be. Um, and in my case, it really wasn't. So. Um, we do our site placements at the Peace Corps headquarters in China and, um, you know, all 83 of us, or I think it was maybe less than 80, a few of them left before they could get past the training phase. But, um, I remember like there's four different locations that you can go to and, um, people would provide you with notes from, you know, their, their site before they left their site. So whoever you're replacing, they'd leave little notes behind and they'd leave like packets of information and to help you understand your site better and all these things. So I was really looking forward to that. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to go someplace a lot more remote. And, um, so when I, when I got my placement, I was pretty disappointed because I didn't want to be in a city and I wanted to be more remote. And it turns out I'm part of this like huge, this huge city, um, and not only that, I was opening my school and, um, I was also the first foreigner teacher to really ever go there and no one had ever been there before. So I was essentially the, I was the very first Peace Corps volunteer to ever serve in that school. So I had no frame of reference and, you know, when you join Peace Corps, you don't really consider this being a possibility. Um, when you get there, you don't think like, man, I'm going to have to build everything from the ground up or try to anyway. So, um, 
I was expecting to be a lot closer with my students than I actually was. Um, the, the issue with my students is that um, they were did really poorly on their standardized testing. And so um, they were placed in a school that like had a whole bunch of other kids who didn't really, um, they, they didn't test very well. So they all came to the school basically. Um, Mm -hmm. that being said, most of them are pretty naughty kids. Um, so it was really difficult to teach them. And for about three months they were interested in me and they were like, Oh, you're like, this is cool. We have a foreign teacher. But once the, the, uh, (laughs) the, the shininess of who I was wore off, um, it was kind of like, it wasn't as it was, I feel like I wasn't as connected to my students as I could have been. So, but the other benefit of that was I was really connected to my community. So I spent a lot of time, um, outside my community, actually at a gym because my service was just so challenging, um, that I really thought that I was going to quit because, this isn't what I signed up for. It wasn't what I expected. Um, I didn't expect there to be such a struggle, um, you know, connecting with my students. So I ended up joining a gym and that's where I made a lot of friends. And that's where I learned how to speak Chinese. And, um, that's where I felt I had the most sense of belonging. Um, cause my students, the other thing is they didn't speak English hardly at all. They could barely say, hi, my name is in, in English. So, And I had no Chinese or teaching skills other than what I learned from training. So that was super challenging for me. Um, And I, and I, I still to this day wonder why I was sent there because there were multiple people in my group who were um, actually like skilled in teaching and had, you know, there was a couple people in our group that had been like studying Mandarin for six or seven years. So for me, it just like boggled my mind that that's where I was placed. Um, but my program manager, Sandy Pung, she believed that that's where I belonged. And, um, a lot of the time I didn't feel like she was wrong. I felt like, well, this challenge was completely my own challenge and it changed me. So, um, it wasn't what I expected. I did not expect to be more close to people in my community than I was to the students in my school. Um, because most, most teachers do have that closeness with their students, and I just didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and what type of gym was this that you were, you were a part of? So, um, gosh, the one upside of Peace Corps China, and we get bad rap for this, is we're, we're mostly known as like a posh core, um, which I don't always think is a fair statement. Like, we have lots of accessibility to things. However, we still face hardships like, you know, anyone living abroad, um, and volunteering in this way. So, um, the gym was actually across the street from my house in a shopping mall and it was, uh, it was called Shin Meili and they were owned by a uh, pair of Chongqing like uh, locals. And, um, so it was a pretty decent sized gym. It had an aerobics room. It had all the equipment, Um, it was a full fledged like gym that you would see like in America. And, uh, that's actually where I made my first friend and, uh, his name is Sam and he was a father of a young girl. And, uh, 
and um, had been living there for, he had been living in the district that I was living in for his whole life. He had never left. So um, he was my first friend and he was the first person that uh, I actually spent a lot of time with learning, learning Chinese, learning about the culture. And, and um, he helped me integrate into culture in, uh, in Dadu Co. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, I can't really explain like what about it was. I just feel like I had so much support going on and I was pretty overweight when I um, started going to that gym. And so it was pretty much the only thing I felt like I had control of because I didn't feel like I had very much control over my situation. And I knew things were going to take time to develop like my language and my rapport with my students and my colleagues. And there was a lot of like stumbling around and trying to figure out where things went, how things worked, um, what was appropriate and what wasn't. Um, so the gym was like my haven. It was like my escape from everything that felt so difficult and challenging about my service. Um, and so I leaned on that pretty hard when I was there and I went every day, like religiously for pretty much the whole entire time I lived in Peace Corps. Wow. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's so interesting. The, the ways that Peace Corps volunteers end up connecting with their community. Uh, and it's not always the, the ways in you, which you would think, uh, you would, I don't think most people would, uh, imagine that they would be working out at a gym that was across from where they lived and that's how they yeah. would really feel connected. And it was crazy because like I would, um, I tried, I, I busted my butt for two years to just try and like learn the language enough so that I could talk to my kids. And so I had to teach class in English and Chinese, um, which is not super recommended, but I had to, because that's the only way I could get to my students. So, um, it was definitely, it was nice, but, um, I would go across the street and I'd go to, cause not only did we have a gym, we had like an H and M and a Starbucks and a Walmart. And I lived right next to the subway. So like, you know, it was, it was a nice environment for me, I guess. Um, and not cause I had all of those things, but just because I had places to go study and I had places, people that I met who could practice with me and didn't judge me, you know, for being essentially like illiterate. And it was really nice, um, to have that, that air, that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a teacher, were you teaching just one to two classes a day or was this a standard like teaching schedule? Were you a full fledged teacher? So, no, I was, um, I think I worked about 20 hours a week. So, um, I taught classes of anywhere from four students to 50 students. So very large class sizes. Um, I think maybe I taught like at most maybe eight classes a week. And that was in my final semester with uh, Chongqing Tourism School. So, you know, I would finish my class and I'd go home and I'd, or I'd do whatever. And then like, if uh, I had like Fridays off, I'd do, I'd go, you know, wander around the city a bit. And, um, it was, it was a really nice life. Um, I really miss it actually, cause it's, you know, um, you have this sense of freedom when you're there. Um, you know, not having to worry about like utilities and insurance and car payments and house payments and all of these things that, you know, we sort of worry about here in the States. Um, 
it was a pretty nice life. I had a lot of free time to do things that I enjoyed doing for myself. So I didn't work all the time, but there were some volunteers I know of that had some pretty intense schedules with their students. Mm-hmm. It's uh, kind of weird at times for volunteers who have the type A personality who come from the United States and are go, go, go. And then mm-hmm. you're, you're dropped in a place where quite honestly, most days there is nothing you have to do. <laughs> Yeah. You oh can God, feel, it's nice. <laughs> you, you can feel it any way you want. Yep. It's it's really nice in that regard. And that's why I liked China so much. And what made China also really great was just the access to um, transportation throughout the country. Um, buses, trains. Um, I mean, planes are good too, but man, trains are just so convenient. And they're so fast over there now. So traveling anywhere was just so easy. It was so incredibly easy, especially because like none of us could drive a car. So we, I loved that so much about China. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you have a favorite uh, memory from your time in China that you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, um, uh, let's see. The first year I actually, um, celebrated the Chinese lunar new year with, um, my friend Sam and his family. And, um, that was, we didn't really do a whole lot. We actually, um, just sat around and had dinner and, um, hung out. And then that night we went out to the square just beneath or below where, um, his apartment was. And we shot off some fireworks in the square. Um, but the following year I spent my my first very traditional Chinese Lunar New Year in a place called Handan. And it's very close to Beijing. I think it's about two hours by a fast train. And um, I went there with a friend of mine who was also at the gym that um, I went to. And his family lived up there. That's where he was from. He was a part of, he was from Northern China. So um, he invited me and I had no idea how traditional it was in that part where he was from. And he was in a pretty, he was from a pretty remote part of China. So when I got there, um, not a whole lot of foreigners were in that area. And, and you could, I could tell by the way they looked at me, but, um, so basically there was, uh, I was introduced to his family, got to stay in their house in the countryside and homes in China aren't super common. It's mostly like high rises because there's just so many people living in China. So having a house in a countryside is kind of a big deal for some people. Um, and there's like lots of alleyways. It's sort of like those houses that you see in like movies, like Chinese movies. Um, they're those like one level open courtyard, lots of rooms to walk around and pillars everywhere. Um, you kind of have to walk through the courtyard to get to other rooms of the house. Um, that's kind of what it was. That was basically what it was like when I was there. Um, so for that one, we, I actually got to see the full on Chinese lunar new year, traditional ritual of worship. Um, and they worship the three gods. I think one of them was the heavenly God, the earth God, and then the, you know, like Hades, hell, or Satan or whoever. And, uh, they prayed to all three of these gods. And, um, and then while they're praying, they offer all kinds of different like foods, like breads and fruits and, and, um, steamed buns and all of this stuff. So they offer that to the gods. Um, and then they pray, um, to the gods, 
like everyone in the family. And I think it goes the oldest person in the family first. So he prays first, then the next person, then the youngest person prays last. And then um, at the end, they'll burn like bare, like buttloads of just paper money. It's fake paper money. And they'll burn it as a way to entice gods to give them, you know, a better next year, a more prosperous next year. And then um, they do the traditional fireworks, firecracker thing where they just like unload a bunch of them. And that goes on for hours. Um, And that usually like their Chinese Lunar New Year sort of like happens over several days. And so there were I got to hear like the like the story of like how firecrackers and the red lanterns and the red couplets that are on the outside of the doors that you see in a lot of Chinese homes. Um, I got to learn why those came to be. Um, and, uh, my friend's little brother told me the story of a monster called the Nien monster that would come to villages and devour the people and the animals of the village. And they had basically a stranger come into town and say, I know how to beat this, this monster. And so he used red couplets and lanterns to frighten the monster. And then they lit fireworks to scare the monster away. Thus, you know, that's why that tradition has carried on for so many years. So I got to learn about all that stuff. And that was pretty spectacular because I'd never seen anything like that. Um, And I didn't know that those kinds of traditions still existed in China. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always an, an amazing opportunity when you can connect with someone over usually a holiday with a family and gain an insight to to something that yeah you could you could probably have like just googled it looked it up on wikipedia but but you would have read it and you would have forgotten it like the the second you were done but to be there and really experience it, it 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 sticks with you it was amazing you're right it um i still talk about it about it to this day with um people who care to listen but um i mean it's it's probably one of my most cherished memories living there. Mm-hmm. Was there any one thing that you struggled with, or that there were probably several along the way, uh, but was there one thing that, that sticks out that was a difficulty for you? Um, for me, I think the emotional part of it was pretty difficult. Um, I could see a lot of um, families, you know, having children out of the obligation to their parents in China. Um, And I witnessed a lot of it firsthand where you could just see like the frustration of the young people who have these newborns. And, um, and, you know, you also see like how neglected these kids feel sometimes. And it broke my heart. Um, And there were a few times where I'd seen some kids like, I saw a young child one time he had dropped all of his markers on the ground and I was walking home from school and, um, you know, all these adults were walking straight past this kid. He couldn't have been more than five years old. He was a baby. And, um, he was trying to like pick up all of his markers and, and, um, no one, no one helped, no one was helping him. And like, as far as I could tell, there was like no other adult around to like help this kid pick up his markers. And I was like, where's this kid's parents? So I knelt down and I told the kid in Chinese, I said, don't cry. It's going to be okay. And he just looked up at me like with this, like just shocked look on his face. 
and I was helping him pick his markers up. And then I heard his grandmother or who I was assuming was his grandmother, just in like a few feet away, yelling at him, telling him, don't worry about it. Just let it go. Don't worry about your markers. And you could tell that this kid was just already stressed out. Um, and he was holding back tears and I'd, you know, I'd witnessed stuff like that a lot. And I just, that was the part that I struggled with was the emotional part where I feel like a lot of people put their emotions on the back burner in China, uh, cause they're encouraged to keep that down. They're not encouraged to talk about their problems or, you know, complain about things, which on one hand I think is really great. Cause I think a lot of people in America have a tendency to complain, um, but in, and in China, they don't really complain very much. Um, but I really like, I, I was troubled by the fact that, you know, most of the kids who came to me about their problems didn't feel comfortable going to their parents or their siblings or their closest friends just to say like, you know, I'm struggling and I need help or today was a hard day and all I want is a hug, you know, that, that bothered me a lot. Um, and that was a pretty big struggle for me being a sensitive person and an empath. And, um, so I tried as much as I could (laughs) to like hug people when they needed it and let them know that I was there if they ever wanted to talk about anything. And people still do. Um, some of my friends and some of my students still contact me to this day to just talk to me about things in their life that are bothering them and get some advice and stuff like that. Um, but other than that, adjusting to the culture was pretty difficult too for me. And, um, I was humbled very quickly, (laughs) um, and didn't have to really worry about it too much, but you know, going through something like Peace Corps, you kind of like realize that you're not the center of the universe and that, you know, everyone, you're pretty much the same. You all kind of want the same things and, um, everyone wants to be happy and loved and they want to, you know, be able to eat every day. And, um, you know, getting to see that was a pretty humbling experience. So it didn't take very long for me to get over like how maddening it was that China was such a polar opposite of what everything that I knew. Um, so that was probably another huge challenge, but it didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you miss in particular from, from your time in China? You know, I miss my healthy lifestyle. Um, cause I was walking more. The nutrition is different there. Um, everything for the most part is made fresh daily. Um, which I really, really miss. And I mean, I miss my friends and family. Um, there were a lot of people that I grew very close to there, um, who made a really big impact on my life as far as where I wanted to go, um, from there. And, um, I miss, (laughs) I miss just how like stress-free my life was like other than the, you know, natural stresses of trying to be a teacher to some kids who just didn't really care to learn. Um, I was a pretty stress-free person living over there. I feel like, um, I didn't have, like I said, those classic (laughs) adulting like responsibilities that we have over here. I just didn't have them. And you don't realize like how easy your life is when you don't have so much of those obligations, just like weighing on you all the time. Um, 
and I, I felt like I was a lot happier and free to do all the things that I wanted to do and travel and see things like I've always wanted to. So I miss that. I miss that freedom more than anything. Cause it, when I came home, I just went back to like normal American life, which was get a job, get a car, get a house, like get all these things. And, um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I do, I do miss the ease and the freedom of my life back there. Mm-hmm. And you said that you made, you know, friendships and people that you consider to be family and that they, you know, they changed you. Uh, in, in, in what ways did, did Peace Corps change you or have your, I guess, sort of goals and what you want to do with your life changed as a result of being in the Peace Corps? Sure. So, um, you know, when I was first there, I started to struggle a lot. Um, and the first winter, my program manager, Sandy Pung, who I commonly refer to as Mama Pung, we call her Mama Pung, um, cause she was like a mother to most of us. So, um, she told me that I was like this flower that lived in or that grew in China and it only grew in the winter. It was called the winter sweet flower. And she said, you're like the winter sweet flower because even in the bitterest and harshest of winters, you still have the ability to bloom. And so as I was going through this service, um, like I was finding out that I wasn't really like, I was the, I was the person who always had to be like the loudest in the room. Um, and wanted everybody to pay attention to me and just being there around people like my program manager or my friend, Sam, or even other Peace Corps volunteers. Um, I learned to listen more. I learned to stop being that person who talks all the time. Um, and I started listening to people talk more. And I remember when I came home, my dad told me, (laughs) you know, you're super quiet now. It's sort of disarming. And, um, I didn't really know what to say to that because it just, you know, when you're sitting in a group of like 30 people at a banquet and you can't really say anything because they're just talking so fast and in their mother tongue, it's really hard to like try and join that. So what all you can do is just listen and be patient. Um, so those, a lot of the people in the culture taught me, um, to be a little more humble, to be patient, um, to listen more, um, and compassion. I think love and compassion was probably the biggest thing that I learned living there, um, was how to love my neighbor and be compassionate for, you know, their life and the understanding that like, just because it's not my culture doesn't mean it's not theirs. So, um, I got to take all that home with me and I got to, I got to see, um, people differently. And I got to see, um, situations differently, hardships, you know, it's easier to be able to relate to people when you sort of understand them, if that makes sense. So everything I didn't know about China ended up being this like really super personal thing in my life. And, and, um, I was able to actually start to understand people a whole lot better by being able to relate to them more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it, it definitely makes sense to me, and I think it'll make sense to to anybody who has served in the Peace Corps or had a similar experience. 
Before we close out the episode, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Um, well, I, uh, while I was um, going through all of Peace Corps application and my service and everything, um, you know, I really wanted more than anything to just help people and you know, help them like not go through the struggles that I went through and felt like I went through, um, when I was in Peace Corps. And I know there's a ton of books out there, but I did write one and it is called, it depends a guide to Peace Corps and it's on Amazon. Um, it's really easy to find. Um, but I wrote it with the intention of, um, editing it every year or so, so that it stays current and updated. But inside there's some stories from other volunteers, um, telling, you know, about telling readers about, you know, their service. So it sort of gives you like a broad spectrum of like, um, what you can kind of expect, how you can cope with your service, um, how you can make the most of your service and how you can follow through with this dream, um, of being a Peace Corps volunteer. So I like to take that book and I, and I give it away sometimes, especially to students at high schools. Um, one of my major focuses since I've been home is to visit high schools. Um, and just, you know, they, they may not listen to me, but just at least give them the idea that like, Hey, this opportunity is out there for you. Um, these are the kind of things you could be thinking about right now. Um, so I do that. And, um, I think that's a really important part of our service as, as volunteers is to bring home like what we've learned. And, and, um, so that's what I'm trying to do is be an inspiration to other people who want to join Peace Corps. So, um, I used to start, I started a blog a long time ago about Peace Corps. Obviously I don't talk too much about it anymore cause I'm not there, but there's still some good stuff on my own blog, um, where you can find information about, you know, things I experienced when I was in Peace Corps. Um, but, um, I think the book is a really good resource to be added to all of the other perspectives out there. Um, cause there are a lot of very, very good perspectives from other volunteers who've served in Peace Corps. And, um, mine is just one, but I think it's always great to go through and read multiple perspectives just so that when you go in, you're not so shocked <laughs> if things aren't the way you expect them to be. So, um, I just wanted to add my perspective and maybe be of influence to some other people when they're making the choice to join. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I definitely understand your, your reasons for doing that because that's actually kind of what gave birth to this podcast. Uh, when I was writing my book about my Peace Corps experience, I realized that it was just one experience, my experience, and, and wanted to make sure that I brought on people like you who had very, very different experiences, but are still important to, to round out uh, the totality of, of what is Peace Corps. So, so thank you for, for adding to that and, and making another point of reference for people to, to learn from. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I know like most of, and I'm sure you can speak to this too, but like this, this story doesn't even scratch the surface. And I'm sure that most volunteers feel the same way. Um, our stories are very large and and, um, but I love talking to people about them. If anyone ever has questions for me, I'm always so excited to share what I know. So, um, I'm always willing if anyone was interested to talk or whatever, they can always reach out and ask any questions that they have. 
Okay, well, hopefully some people take you up on that. And in closing the show, I like to ask people who come on if they have a favorite quote or local saying that they would like to share. Oh, so um, for me, um, one of my favorites, especially when I was having a difficult time, my friends or my family would say the phrase, which basically means go with the flow of life. And um, I always just felt like that was such a powerful thing to tell people, especially because in situations like Peace Corps, we have a tendency to try and control what we're doing rather than just enjoying the ride. And, um, and I think when we try and control too much, we miss out on a lot of things that will just come to us naturally and intuitively. So, so that's my favorite one. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it is a perfect uh, phrase to go along with the Peace Corps experience. Uh, And thank you for taking some time to share uh, your service with us. Thank you so much, Tyler. It was a pleasure being on your show. And I uh, thank you again. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get a new episode every single week when I release them. As I said in the beginning, this episode was brought to you by Invested Interest. If you want to start investing money uh, for your future, maybe it's one of your uh, 2019 goals, head on over to investedinterest.com slash Peace Corps. Use promo code Peace Corps and you will get a $50 bonus when you sign up. Also, this episode is brought to you by Lou CBD, L-O-U-C-B-D. Have you guys heard of CBD? Uh, It's kind of popping up all over the place, but it's kind of difficult to find out uh, which companies you can trust, uh, which products you should really be looking into. Well, uh, this is a company that I started with my brother, uh, and we are selling CBD products that are uh, clear and transparent. Uh, We stand by the products that we produce. If you have any questions, uh, we can there to answer them for you. So if you're interested in trying CBD and want to get 15% off, head on over to lucbd.com and use the coupon code PeaceCorps at checkout for 15% off. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>